Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. So let me take a minute for you all just to say hi to all of our friends and family out there that's a part of uh, our Facebook feed this morning. Welcome, glad to have you guys with us. Listen, as we do each week, if you're here and you've got your phone and you're comfortable doing it, and you can turn the volume down so we don't get that crazy echo, go ahead and jump on the feed and say hi to everybody. Uh, I really want us to know and understand and feel like we are all a church. We're not the church that comes to the building and the church that doesn't come to the building. We are just, we are the church. So you guys jump on there and feel free to participate. It's good to see you guys this morning. Hey, I, I mixed things up a little bit today. Uh, I've got some announcements, some things I want to share, and I usually do that at the beginning of the service before we worship. Today, I moved that around a little bit because I want you all that are on the feed to hear this as well. So let me just go ahead and, and, and share today. Uh, August 2nd is a big day for Souls Harbor. That is going to be the day that we reopen our kids' ministry and we reopen our nursery. And I'm excited for that. I hope you all are as well. I hope you guys are as well. So let me just give you some, um, a, a little bit of information about getting ready to do that. That's uh, three weeks away. Now what we're doing is we ask people, and we had a great response to this as well. We asked people, would you be willing to come in and sit one service, sit the first service, and then serve the second service? And we had a great response for that. So our nursery and our kids' ministry are only going to happen second service starting on August 2nd. But here's the deal. If you guys, maybe you're not aware of this, but there's this virus going around called COVID. Um, if you've missed that, now you know, right? Uh, and it has changed everything. So that means we're going to have to do nursery and kids' ministry differently than we did four months ago, three months ago. So next Sunday, we're going to begin training. Next week, we're going to train nursery workers. So those of you that have ever been involved in the nursery or signed up to be involved in the nursery, we'll need you to come first service, sit first service, and then stay for the training second service. Now, Ruthie tells me it's going to probably last 20 or so minutes, maybe a little longer than that. It won't be the whole service. So we want you to know about that. And then the week after that, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, we're going to do the same thing with kids' ministry. Uh, and we'll have sit first service and train second service. You say, well, what do we have to train, Pastor Barry? I've been, doing, I've been doing nursery forever. Have you ever tried to social distance a baby or a toddler? You have. You have one. It's not possible. So we are going to walk through the things that are possible and what we can do to keep things as safe as possible. Now, just so you're aware, uh, we are going to... Um, take temperatures of the kids and the babies when they come in. Now, it's not one of those thermometers where you have to stick the thermometer anywhere. Okay, that'd just be gross. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the infrared kind of thing, right, where you take the temperature that way. But we are going to check the temperatures of all the kids. So if your kids or you have a fever, please take that week and stay home with them. We, we want to do as much as we can to be safe. Uh, Ruthie's telling me they're going to put some kind of center line down the hallway, an aisleway in the back, just like at Walmart or some of our other stores. So people go one way down and another way back. And some other things we're going to try to put in place. So just come and uh, we, we want to help train you with that and, and just be as safe as we possibly can. And I want to make sure I got everything here. 
Uh, only other thing she asked me to, to reiterate to everybody is this. Uh, she needs four to five kids' church workers. We had a lot more than that volunteer, so thank you for that. That's awesome. So she's going to be able to rotate um, our teams and not have everybody back there every week. And also she asked me, please don't completely bail. Don't bail on the nursery at all. We need many of you. Um, we'll need you to work both alternating, and she's, her and Jenny are working together to put together a schedule, so it makes sense. Um, so I just wanted to, to, you know, I wanted you all to know that as well. So please help us out in both areas. Only other thing I'd say is this. Um, let me look you in the eye when I say it. Please, 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 please be patient with us as we work through this. This is my first pandemic. This is our church's first pandemic. This is Pastor Ruthie's first pandemic. It's Jenny's first pandemic, and we're figuring things out. Now, we're planning, we're thinking, we're trying to be logical and strategic, but we're going to miss things. So please, please, please be patient. Um, don't be like that person, and I know none of you would do this anyway, but I heard the story when I went in to get my hair cut last time of the man that came in and was asked to put a mask on, and he just went all crazy. Don't do that, please. Don't do that at the haircut place either. It's just awkward. All right, you guys, I know none of you would do that. We are doing our very best, and I believe it's going to be a lot of fun, and I believe in the long run it'll all, it will get it all figured out. And, uh, and actually, I believe we're going to have most of it figured out on the front end, but just I'm, I'm asking you to be patient with us in that way. Hey, I believe this morning that is all the announcements I needed to share. You guys, uh, if you're online, make sure you share, make sure you check in, do all that stuff, let the world know you're at church today. And uh, let your friends know, like, follow, do all of those things on Facebook. You guys do the same thing. Uh, let us know you're there, and uh, we very much would appreciate it. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to jump into my message today and uh, preach this morning. Um, how many of you, and how many of you, and your family, with your spouse, Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your parents. You have got a saying or a phrase or a slogan that when you throw it out there, they hate it. Anybody? Anybody? Any, Ruthie raised her hand because she, she, this is the second time she heard this sermon. She knows where this is going. Anybody got a saying? Because I'm going to tell you, I do. I've got a saying that every time I say it, and if I ask Ruthie to come up here right now, and to tell you what it is, even before she heard the first sermon, she could have done it because every time I say this saying, she says exactly the same thing. She says, don't say that. I hate that saying. That's exactly the words that comes out of her mouth every single time, isn't it, Ruthie? Every single time. And the saying is this, it's no good deed ever goes unpunished. Anybody here ever say that? You guys, everybody? Anybody? No good deed ever goes unpunished. Now, to be completely honest with you, I don't really believe that, but the fact that it bugs Ruthie so much to hear it just is motivation and inspiration for me to say it more often than I probably would otherwise. But no good deed ever goes unpunished. Now, having say that I said that I don't really fully believe that, can I be honest with you guys? I've experienced that, and I know most of you have too. I, somebody in this room, somebody on this feed has had to have a situation where you stepped into work and somebody was really needing help, and you said, you know what, I'll be glad to help you, and then the job goes sideways, and all of a sudden it becomes your fault? Or you, you have somebody in your life 
could be friend, could be family, could be neighbor, could be stranger, and, and you just see that they need a loan, they need some help, they need a little money, and they're like, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back, and you loan them the money or give them the money, and, and you never see them again. No good deed ever goes unpunished. I'll, I'll tell you a story, okay? Um, when I pastored Crossroads in South Bend, we had somebody call us. Now, I, I'm really... I've never had this experience here, and that was probably the only time I've really ever been that gullible. But we had somebody call us, and this is what they said to us. No joke. This was on the phone. wasn't even in person, and they started with our, our associate pastor uh, at the time and said, we need some finances to help us with our getting our transmission repaired. We're stuck on the toll road, and we're stuck, and we need a, I don't remember what it was, a few hundred dollars, hundred and some dollars. Can you help us? And my answer was, No. I'm sorry, but we can help you connect with a garage. We can help you this way or that way. And they persisted, and they called back, and they persisted, and they called back. And finally he said, you're going to have to take it, Pastor Barry. I, I just I can't tell him no again. And long story short, after a long time, a lot of conversation, they finally persuaded me. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not that gullible. I really am not. I don't get suckered very often. But they finally persuaded me that it, when they got home, they would, re, they would send us the money. They would make it right. Uh, I don't even remember the details now. I, I don't know. I mean, it was probably the things that you hear every time. It was a veteran who had a, an elderly mom and a newborn baby in the car, and they had no food or water. I don't even know. It was, But whatever it was, it was persuasive. And we sent them the money. And you know how much of that money we ever got back? Big goose egg. Not a dime. So there is truth, and I, I, I there are opportunities and situations where you do good, and you end up, feels like you're punished for it, right? You never, you, you, no good deed ever goes unpunished. So we all have those moments. We all certainly have those experiences. Pastor Duke, who founded this church, he preached for us last Sunday. He also has a saying, and his saying is this. I've, I heard it for many years. Some of you did too. And it's this, you never go wrong doing what's right. You never go wrong doing what's right. And this morning, I want to preach this message out of Galatians chapter 6, and I want to preach this message, and I'm going to take those two sayings, no good deed ever goes unpunished, and you never go wrong doing right, and I want to go to God's Word, and I want you to see that Galatians 6, especially verse 9, actually speaks to both of those realities, both of those situations. So while you're turning there, let's take a moment this morning, and let's pray, and we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. You tell us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is good for correction, reproof, growth, learning, knowledge, teaching, to, to move us into being like Jesus, to being uh, righteous. And I pray this morning as we delve into just 10 verses of Galatians 6 that you will help it, Lord, to plant itself in our heart and our mind and hook itself there and, God, impact how we live our lives day to day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Turn with me, if you're not there already, Galatians 6. And let's start, rather than start with the first verse, let's start with verse 9. And I want you to see what Paul says and how it connects to what I was speaking about a moment ago. He says in verse 9, he says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good. Don't get tired of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not go up, give up. How, do I have any sports fans in the room? Any, any guys sports fans? We got a few. 
maybe some of you on the, on the feed are sports fans. Um, every sport I know has a, what they call a preseason, right? And, and football is probably the most notorious for preseason. And here's been my experience when it comes to preseason. Nobody likes preseason. The players don't like it. The fans don't like it. Nobody likes it. And anybody that actually goes to a preseason game, they usually go for one of a few reasons. They either go because the, tip, the tickets are just super cheap and they can go. They go because they like to drink the beer with their buddies, or they go because they literally have nothing else to do. Now, I hope you all aren't drinking the beer with your buddies, okay? That wasn't really for this crowd, but that's just the reality. I've been to enough football games. I've seen enough. I know. Um, Nobody goes to preseason expecting it to ever be good. Nobody goes to preseason expecting to see the star quarterback. Nobody goes to preseason expecting to see the best game they've ever seen in their life. Preseason is, it just stinks. Preseason, all preseason does is it delays the real season, right? I mean, that's it. It just delays the real season. I want you to look at verse 9 again with me with that in mind. Paul says, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, in the real season, in the actual season, when the season starts, in due season, we will reap. The problem we get into is sometimes we don't have the patience to live through the preseason. Now listen, I've had situations, you have too, where um, I, I do something good, I do something good for somebody, I do something good on the job, I do something good somewhere, and there's this immediate gratification, there's this immediate moment where I, I reap a reward. I've had situations on jobs, I worked many years outside of pastoring in the church, I was bivocational for decades, and there, there's been times where I worked jobs, and I put in a lot of hours on a job, and the very next paycheck, I would either get a little bit of a percentage boost, or a bonus, or a plus, or an extra day off, and who doesn't like an extra $200 in their paycheck? Right? Woohoo! Sign me up! There are those moments where I reaped extra hours, I reaped work, I reaped, or I, I, I sowed work, I sowed time, and immediate, there was immediately, immediate moment where I did good, and I saw the rewards. But there was also times there was also a lot of times where I would do good. I'd put in the hours. I'd put in the effort. I'd put in the extra effort, the extra sacrifice. And I'd go days, listen, weeks, any of you? I've gone months. I've even gone years. And there was no reward because I was in the preseason. But inevitably, inevitably, there have been moments in my life where after days, weeks, months, and sometimes years, somebody would come to me and say, listen, we've noticed what you're doing. We've noticed the quality of work you've doing. We've noticed that, that you put the energy and the effort and the time into what, and we, we want to say thank you for that. And by the way, would you be interested in a promotion and a raise? Well, yeah, especially the raise part, Right? But I had to live through the preseason to get to the season. And Paul says, listen, he says, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't get tired out in the preseason. Keep doing good, because if you do, in the season, you will reap. You understand what I'm saying this morning? In the season, you will reap. You never go wrong doing what's right. But the title of my message is this. No good deed ever goes, no, the title of my message is this. You never go wrong doing what's right, but sometimes it feels like it because we're in the preseason. Sometimes it feels like it because we're in the preseason. So what did Paul mean when he talked about do good? 
And I want to go back to verse 1. If you've got your Bibles there, go with me back up to verse 1. And let's just take a few minutes and look, let's look into the specifics of what Paul's talking about. Now, one of the things you've got to understand this morning, you've got to appreciate a little bit of the history and the context of what Paul's writing here in chapter 6. We spent a bunch of weeks on Wednesday nights working through all of Galatians, and I'm not going to reteach and re-preach all that by any means, but let me just recap a couple things this morning. Paul, Galatians, the church in Galatia was a mess. Them people had issues. I'm thankful I pastor a church that has zero issues. Thankful for that. I, I, you see the smile, right? I pastor a family that has no issues. We're all perfect. <laughs> I'll repent later, right? I pastor a great church, okay? But we're also human. Paul was writing to this church in Galatia, and on the one hand, he had people over here that were convinced that if you are going to be a follower of Christ and you're going to be blessed and you're going to be perfect, then you've got to follow every little 631, 37, whatever it was, pieces of the law. And if you deviate from one of them, then you've got a problem and you're not going to have the blessings of God. And these people were very, you ever run across a dogmatic Christian? You, you know what I'm talking about? The person that's got it all figured out and it's their, their way and no other way and they're 100% sure of themselves and 100% right and if you don't do it their way, there's something wrong with you. Ever, anybody know that kind of? I, I hope not, but they're out there. The dogmatic Christian, well, that was these people. These people were just over-the-top dogmatic. And Paul was pushing back against that, saying, you're wrong. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Scripture taught. You're saved by grace and grace alone. It's not grace and do a bunch of other stuff. And there was another group in the church. They were a mess. There was another group in the church. They come along and they looked at what Paul was saying and they say, hey, Paul, we kind of like that. We're saved by grace and grace is what helps us to grow and become like Christ and get us to heaven. And that's all we've got to have. We don't have to have anything else. And he had this other group of Christians in the same church. They're over here saying, since it's grace and grace alone, we can, li- we can go back and do all those old, sinful, ridiculous immoral things that we used to do and because i'm saved by grace and grace alone it's all okay and on the one hand paul's got these people and on the other hand paul's got these people and these people hate these people and these people hate these people and they all hate paul and paul loves them all and paul's looking at them saying listen i I know some of anybody ever feel like the world's gone nuts me too here lately but can i tell you in the church in galatia there were still some sane people and in the world today there are still some sane people And Paul's trying to say to the same people, listen, I know you're tired of doing good towards them, and I know you're tired of doing good towards them because they've burnt you, and they've lied about you, and they've attacked you, and they've deceived you, and you're ready to to do what I'm ready to do sometimes. Just throw up your hands and say, you know what? I'm done. And Paul's saying, don't do it. Continue to do good to people. And he says this in in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Let me just just point out a couple things to you about this, okay? First of all, get this, caught. If anyone's caught. So these, these aren't people, understand this, these aren't people that have had this, God moment, this God awareness, this this spiritual epiphany that realizes that, hey, what I've been doing is wrong, it's sinful, it's horrendous, I'm a terrible person, I need Jesus. It wasn't that. They were caught. You ever catch your kids? Kids, you ever been caught? Hand in the cookie jar? 
behind closed doors and mom and dad opened the door? You ever had those moments? Mom and dad said, when you were the kid, were you ever caught? You don't have to answer that because you'd be, you know, that probably wouldn't be good. We've all lived there, right? These people were caught. What were they caught in? Scripture says they were caught in transgressions. Now, don't, don't, don't just gloss over this. Don't just, don't just blow over this. They were caught in transgressions. You say, Pastor Bray, what transgressions was it? Well, my suspicion is it's probably some of the transgressions that Paul, just a few verses earlier in 519, had listed. He said this, they were caught in transgressions like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And Paul says, listen, that brother that is caught in a transgression, he says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is one of those messages that gets real, real, real fast. Do you know people like that? Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to restore them. It's hard to do good to them. But Paul says, don't grow weary in trying to do good. Right? Caught in transgressions. And then he says this. He says, you who are spiritual... Can I just talk to you a minute about the spiritual? Because there's two, two ways this could go when it comes to spiritual, okay? You all know Paul. Paul, I never met Paul, obviously. He's a little older than I am. Uh, he, uh, but he had a, I, I, be, I believe, I believe Paul had a really deep vein of dark humor and, and cynicism and sarcasm in him. And, and it may be that Paul is saying to them, uh, you that are spiritual, meaning a little bit sarcastically, you who are so dogmatic, you who think you've got it all figured out, you who think that you know what it, you who think you're so spiritual, um, if you're really spiritual, then you're going to stop ripping apart others in the kingdom and others in the church, and you're going to begin to restore them. Or he could have been talking to, hey, you that think you can live your life any way, that think you're spiritual, if you've ever known anybody that thinks they're spiritual and you look at them and think you don't really have very many of the fruit going on in your life so I'm not how sure how spiritual you are that might be the person Paul's, Paul's talking to there he may be a little bit sarcastic with that you who are spiritual who think you're spiritual but my guess is who he's really talking to is this those that are truly spiritual back in verse 5 he said listen if you don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh do what remember walk in the spirit I suspect what Paul was doing here is he's saying, listen, those of you that are saved, truly born again, got your feet solidly on the ground, have some maturity about you, those of you that have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and maybe those of you that are walking deeper in the Spirit than that, he says, those of you that are truly spiritual, then you need to have the maturity and the ability to take those that are caught in transgression and restore them gently. Now, let me, let me, just, let me just talk about one more piece of this. It's, it's important. Um, that word restore, what does that mean? Any fishermen here? A few of you? So you guys that, I, I, I think I saw two, you guys that fish, uh, pole, line, hook, is that how you fish, is that what you fish with? And a reel, probably. 
That's the way we Hoosiers fish, generally. I don't think that was the kind of fishing that, that this word gets applied to in the Bible. Jeremiah's from Florida. I suspect he might have a little bit more experience with fishing with a net. But these people fish, when they fish, they fish with a net. Now, in Indiana, <clears throat> well, okay, Cody, you're a serious, you're a real fisherman, <clears throat> okay? Uh, um, when, so I, so I got to be careful how I say this. I said this first service. I got to be careful how I say it. When I go fishing, <clears throat> which isn't very often, and there's a reason for that. When I go fishing, I go fishing because I want to spend time sitting in a boat, in the sun, getting a tan. Right? The fishing line, the hook, and the potential of catching a fish, that's all just secondary. If that happens, wonderful. Actually, if that happens, miracle for me, which is why I don't fish very often. Because <clears throat> I learned I can go to the beach and lay on the sand, and it's a lot more fun than sitting in a boat. Um, but with these people, when they fished, it was throwing nets in. And understand this, when they fished, it was, for a, it was, for the, it was, their, it, it was life or death, right? If you pulled that net in and it had a hole in it and the fish slipped out, you had no food to feed your babies. This was a serious deal. Me, if I go out and I fish and I get skunked, as I almost always do, I just go buy Wendy's on the way home and buy a hamburger, right? It's no big deal. So when these people talk about repairing the net, and that, that's this, wor this word that we get here in, in, in Galatians 6, he says restore, it, it was often used in restoring a net. In other words, a net has a big hole in it. You don't just gloss over it and ignore it. You see that hole, you're going to go and do what? You're going to patch it, you're going to repair it, you're going to string it, you're going to fix it. So when he talks about restoring those who have been caught in uh, a transgression, he's not saying do what so often we in the church want to do today. We find somebody who's caught and we want to look at them and say, you know what, I understand that, that you did that and it was wrong, and maybe you understand that it was wrong, and I just want to act as if it never happened, and it'll be okay because I love you and Jesus loves you, which happens to be true, but what we want to do too often is we just want to whitewash over it, gloss over it, and say, so let's just act as if it never happened, and if you do it again, just don't let me know about it. That's leaving the hole in the net. And that's not what Paul's talking about. Now listen to me. I've pastored for 30 plus years, and I've ran across more than one person caught in a transgression. And I've learned some things. Some people, when they're caught in a transgression, it's enough to break their heart. It's enough to cause them to go to their knees in sincerity and say, help me, I want to change. That's the one who can be restored. Too often those caught in a transgression, what they're angry about isn't the fact that they committed the transgression, it's the fact that they got caught. And when you're dealing with a person that's upset that they got caught, not the fact that they committed the transgression, then you need to use not only a lot of gentleness, but a lot of wisdom and a lot of care, and a lot of love, and a lot of prayer, and a lot of, uh, you understand what I'm saying? Don't just gloss over what they did, and there needs to be repentance, right? So what is Paul talking about when he says do good? He's talking about this, folks. Never let your heart get so hard, so cynical, so much like Pastor Barry that 
No good deed ever goes unpunished. Never let your heart get to the place to where you're like, I'm done. L- l- listen to me. I've uh, I pastored enough years. I've sat across the desk from enough people trying to help them, counsel them, encourage them. That I've come to learn some things. That when the person that I'm, when I care more about healing a relationship than the person that's sitting across the desk from me cares about healing a relationship, it's time to just be done. Right? The person that's been caught in the transgression has got to have some heart to say, I want to be healed. I want to be fixed. I want to have some help. I want God to step in. Because if you are putting more energy in effort, have you ever ran across somebody that was in a financial mess? I have. In fact, I've been in a few of them of my own. And I've had some situations where I come to realize, you know what, I'm more, I'm losing more sleep over your mess than you're losing sleep over your mess. Then I have to back up and say, God, they're not ready to be restored yet. But I never want to let my heart get so hard, so cynical, so done that I'm never willing to restore. Paul says if you want to do good, then you have to be willing to restore those who are caught in a transgression. And at the same time, he says this in in the second part of that. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. I find it interesting that for everything Paul says we are supposed to do to help others, we better do double on ourselves. He says, listen, restore the one who's been caught in a transgression. But all, yeah, by the way, keep an eye on your own heart. Make sure you yourself don't have issues. It's always a good idea to take care of me first, meaning make sure my heart's right first before I try to fix somebody else. I've, I've had too, I've struggled as a pastor, I've struggled too many years, too many times with the Christian that wants to fix everybody, but they can't see their own need. He says, he says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. He goes on in verse 2. Let, let's keep going. He goes on in verse 2, and he says, bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I, I get a few truths out of that, folks, this morning. If you want to do good, then there's a place to bear one another's burden. And, and, and when he says that, what he means is, it, it, it tells me a couple things. The first thing is this. Every last one of you in this room, every last follower of Christ, every one of you on this feed this morning, you're going to have hardship. Those preachers out there that want to proclaim to you and preach to you that when you really love Christ and fall in love with Jesus and have enough faith, you'll never have a problem, you'll never have a care, you'll never have a need, you'll never have a trial, you'll never have a sickness, you'll never have an issue. They need to read a little deeper into God's Word. You're going to have trials, you're going to have burdens, you're going to have issues, you're going to have stuff, you're going to have life, you're going to have things that come at you, and when you start to follow, follow Christ, it doesn't, it doesn't keep you from still having those things. And, and I'll go further with that. Looking at Paul's statement here, it tells me that not only are you going to have burdens, but some of those burdens are going to be bigger than what you yourself, by yourself, can handle. 
And that's why Paul says, church in Galatia, church in Plainfield Souls Harbor, bear one another's burdens because there will be times in every one of our lives where the pain and the hurt and the weight is so great that we ourselves cannot stand up, up, up underneath it and we need somebody to come alongside us, somebody to maybe do no more than this, but somebody that will come and stand beside us and stand with us and help us survive and live and be healthy under that burden. Say, Pastor Bear, what kind of burdens are you talking about? Listen, I've watched people struggle with the burdens of disease and sickness that God, for whatever reason, chose not to heal in the immediate moment. I've watched people struggle with the burdens and the, and the grief of losing a spouse, losing a child, losing a loved one. I've watched people struggle and, 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 and have to, to work through all kinds of burdens. I don't know what will come your way, but I know that according to Paul, there's going to be those moments where we all have burdens and we need somebody to come alongside us. And I've learned this, folks. I've learned this over the years. Please get a hold of this. Please realize this about you as a Christian. Sometimes us guys are the worst with this. Men, please get this, understand this. If you're a young man that's young and married, this could be the greatest thing you ever hear preached if you'll get this early in your marriage, okay? Um, You don't have to fix everything, and many times your wife isn't even looking for you to fix it. All she wants you to do is come and stand beside her and be there in the moment. I've been to many uh, hospitals. I've been to many bedsides where somebody was dying. I've been to tragedies where horrible things happened out of nowhere. And as a young pastor, I used to think I need to be able to go in and fix it. I need to be able to go in and have all the answers. And the reality is some of the things, some of the burdens that come along in this life, there is no fix for it. There is no answer for it. There is no, nothing you can do about it. But what you can do is you can come and stand and be with that person and care about them and, and maybe say nothing is the best thing to do many times. One of the biggest challenges right now in this COVID world is the fact that, and we've had a few people here at the church, um, when you go in the hospital, you're alone. Oh, I know there's nursing staff there, but family cannot be there. One of the biggest challenges personally right now is with my mom in that she's, she's in an assisted living facility in the memory care unit, and I've not been able to see her for about 10 weeks now. We had two short weeks where her and I could sit down outside across from each other with masks on and at least talk, and then a case popped up where she is, and they had to close that down. And, and here's the sad reality, folks. She's 85 years old. She has dementia, and her health isn't bad, but it's not the greatest. And at 85, I hope she lives 10 more years. I hope she lives 20 more years. But the reality is she could end her life in a situation where she is able to have no family able to come to her and hug her or be beside her or hold her hand or even be in her presence. And I give you that illustration. I I tell you that story this morning simply for this reason. Understand the power of just being there. Right? Just being there. Bear one another's burdens, Paul says. In so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, probably Paul's referring to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, verse 3, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And here we go again. Paul says, while you're fixing the other person, work on yourself as well. Test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will will each one each will have to bear his own load so so let me let me just address this okay and then i want to move on just real real quickly in verse 3 paul said bear one another's 
burdens. Or verse, yeah, verse 3, bear one another's burdens. Verse 2. And then in verse 5, he says, each one of you needs to bear his own load. So which is it? Are we supposed to bear one another's burdens? Or are we supposed to bear our own? Well, well, that's the kind of thing that drives me crazy, so i, I got to take a moment here and talk about that. In English, it gets translated burden in, in some translations. If you go back to the original, the Greek, it's actually two different words. The first word, where we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, is, is the kind of burden that is unbearable. It's the kind of burden that you can't stand under. It's the kind of burden that's overwhelming. It's a different word than we get in verse 5. In verse 5, the word burden there that we're, we're, we're to bear, it's like a, anybody have a backpack? I got a backpack. I shove all kinds of junk in that because I can swing it over my shoulder and I can walk a long ways with it. It's talking about the kind of burden that is a backpack. Look, here's, here's what Paul's saying. Some things that you can't handle on your own, you need to have people there with you. That's the value of the church. That's why church is important. But some things that you just you need to walk through by yourself, um, your choices, the consequences of your choices, many times those are things we ourselves get ourselves into and we have to bear it. But I think probably ultimately what Paul is trying to say to the church there is this, that, that one day every single person in this room, now let me look at you all for a minute, every single person in this room and everyone that's on this feed this morning, every one of us is going to stand before God. That word burden there actually has a future context. It's a future, uh, it's a future word. And when, now listen to me. When you stand before God, please get this. When you stand before God someday and you give answer for whether you chose to follow Jesus or not, and you give answer for the things you've done and the life you've lived, you're not going to be able to stand there and say, but God, I would have done better had it been for, if it hadn't been for pastor. Or God, I would have done better if it hadn't been for that church. Or God, my life would have been different if my parents would have or if my spouse would have. You see, I believe what Paul's actually saying there is this. We all will stand before God on our own two feet before we go to our knees before him and bow before him. And every one of us will have to give answer for what we ourselves do. Please don't expect to be able to one day stand before God and say, God, I would have done it different had that preacher not preached. I would have done it different had that church not said. I would have done it different had that church not acted. I would have done it differently had my mom and dad not. I would have done it differently had my spouse. It's not going to work. We will all stand before God and give account. In that sense, we carry our own burdens. Now listen, Pastor Barry will stand before God one day, and God will ask me, why did you preach? You parents, you will stand before God one day yourselves, and you will answer, Parent, why did you parent that way? So there is responsibility, and there, that, that exists, but I'm not going to be able to stand before God and say it's my mom and dad's fault, right? That's what Paul's telling us. So when it comes to continuing to do good, what is he talking about? He's talking about restoring those that have been caught in transgression. He's talking about bearing one another's burdens. And then he comes down here in verse 6, and he gives us another way that we can be good. Another way to do good. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Let the one who shares the word, or let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. In other words, listen, if somebody cares for you, honor them by caring back. If somebody teaches you, 
honor them by allowing them to be supported by the teaching that they offer. But can I make it a bigger principle than that this morning? Because I, I believe this is a big principle. This, this is talking about teachers and, and preachers, and, and, and I believe we could go to Jesus who says the ox that treads out the corn in the old system ought to be able to eat of the corn that falls to the ground. Or we could go and, and talk about Paul and Corinthians talking about the workman is worthy of his hire. We could talk about that in the context of pastors deserve to be be compensated for the efforts they put into to leading the church. And, and thank you all for understanding that and, and taking care of me and Ruthie and allowing us to be your full-time pastor, allowing me to be your full-time pastor. I appreciate that. I'm not, that's not what this is about. But I believe there's a bigger principle there than it's this. And let me, let me share it this way. My pastor, when I was about this tall, I, it was one of those things that stuck with me. And I don't know why I can remember this and not other things. But it, he said, Barry, he said, listen, he said, when I go out to eat, he said, if I can't afford to pay the tip for the waiter or the waitress, then I don't feel like I can afford to go out to eat. His point was, that waiter or that waitress is going to give of themselves to serve me, then I need to be willing to compensate them appropriately. That's what Paul's saying. You that are taught, make sure you take care of the one that teaches. You that are served, make sure you take care of the one that serves. It's called fairness. It's called justice. It's called right. It's the way we do Good. Now, listen, I've had, I've had waiters I've tipped 20%. I've also had waiters I've tipped 15%. I've had waiters I've tipped 13%. Probably not had too many waiters I've tipped less than that. I've had a few I wanted to tip like three pennies. <laughs> you all have too. But I don't think I've ever done that. Because I don't really believe that no good deed ever goes unpunished. And I do really believe that you never go wrong doing what's right. Let me bring this to a close this morning. He gives us this principle down in verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And then verse 9, back where we started, and let us not grow weary doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And let me... Let me bring this to a close this way. How many of you want the blessings of God? Seriously, that's a, that's a sincere question. How many of you want the blessings of God? Then sow the blessings of God. How many of you would like to be blessed generously? You see, sometimes we think this whole Christianity is about just getting to heaven. I'm going to tell you, God wants to bless you in this life. How many of you like to have financial blessings? How many of you would like to have uh, material blessings. How many of you would like to have relational blessings with your kids and your spouse? Then look at what you're sowing, right? If you want a happy wife, then be a happy husband, right? If you want a healthy relationship, then sow a healthy relationship. If you want honesty, then sow honesty. If you want generosity, then sow generosity. If, if, if you want a bigger paycheck, so hard work and faithfulness. It, it, it's not just about blessings on the other side of eternity. It's about blessings on this side. You say, Pastor Barry, I've done that. I've worked hard. I've, I've done the right thing. And it's never come back to me. That's because you're still living in the preseason. Right? You're still living in the preseason. Be patient. Paul says it this way. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season... When the real season comes, we will reap. And don't miss this. This is, this is a big word. It's, three, it's two letters. 
I-F, if, we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us all do good to everyone. And I'll end with this this morning. Would you all would stand. If you guys are at home, you don't have to stand. You can continue to sit on your couch or wherever you're comfortable, unless you want to. And if that makes you feel better, that's fine. I want you all blessed. Every pastor in the world wants to pastor a church that has great marriages. Every pastor in the world wants to pastor a church that has strong families. Every pastor in the world wants to pastor a church where people are financially blessed. I want you all blessed. And we've got to remember the sow and reap principle is a very real thing. Now listen, some of you this morning, your hearts may have grown cynical. You may be saying no good deed ever goes unpunished, and it may not be just something you say to get a response out of your wife, but because you really believe it. And this morning, I hope the Holy Spirit's challenging you to let the cynicism fall away, to let the Holy Spirit soften your heart and put in the extra effort that when the opportunity presents itself, and it will, do good. Restore, bear one another's burdens, share, do good. And I promise you, I promise you because God's word says it, I promise you, if you'll be faithful through the preseason, God will bring the season and you will reap what you've sown. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. We love you. Thank you for your word. Just so much real life application, how we can live our lives, how we can live better lives. And you want us to live good lives. And I pray this morning as we leave this place, as we end this feed, Lord, your Holy Spirit will just take the truths of Galatians 6 and hook it into our hearts and help us when we come into those situations where we have to make a choice, an attitude choice, a, a, a how we're going to treat people choice, that God will remember you call us to do good even when, the, the, even when we don't see the reaping immediately in front of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Love you guys, love you guys. You have a great week. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.